Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 37 of UAB Green and Told. Original air date, Monday, January 18th, 2021. Green and Told gives us the opportunity to share stories from members of the UAB community. I'm Greg Berry, Assistant Director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. On this episode, we are joined by Dr. Corey Wiggins, Executive Director of the Mississippi Conference NAACP. As Corey will share, he grew up in rural Mississippi, surrounded by a strong support system. Part of what I do, even our work today, it's driven by the fact that people poured in me to have an impact much bigger than me. For Corey, his journey to a pair of UAB degrees came after a stop in Washington, D.C. And as he'll explain, his experience there helped reshape his career path. I ended up doing a three to four month fellowship in D.C. through the Kaiser Family Foundation, uh, where I worked on Capitol Hill as a, a health policy fellow in the U.S. Senate. Plus, as someone who deals with public policy, he'll talk about how UAB fits into what he's doing now. My time at UAB just helped me to be more and develop more concretely in this idea of, of being open to the possibilities. Hazelhurst, Mississippi is a small rural community that can be found where the county road opens up about a half hour south of Jackson. Corey Wiggins grew up in a home next to his grandparents, across from his great aunt, and next to the family church. The land uh, that I grew up on uh, was land that my uh, great grandfather purchased in the middle of my mid 1930s. And what happened is a group of, of families who were actually sharecroppers at the time in our community pulled their money and resources and purchased a church in the community first, uh, which is the church I attended growing up. Then after that, um, they started buying up land. And so my great-grandfather um, actually purchased the land that landlocked the church. And so we grew up on about 150 acres, you know, exploring the woods, the country. My experiences on a day-to-day basis was really between myself and my two younger brothers, my parents, my grandparents, outside of like when I went to school. And, you know, we went, we, we grew up, you know, outside of the town. So it wasn't like, you know, I had friends who were driving to the country to come visit. So most of my visitation and plan was right there with family. You know, I played with the kids who came to church on Sunday. But other than that, it was just, you know, our, our Wiggins plan, just kind of knocking around, didn't build road. As a youngster in Hazelhurst, what opportunities do you have for yourself to you know, go to school, to better yourself and get an education? My experience growing up was, again, I talked about the influence of family. Uh, and so one of my aunts, who was my dad's sister, who grew up right up the street from me, uh, taught at a uh, community college, and she taught reading. And, and I point that out is, is because as an early age, like I had folks around me who was like pushing me to read, pushing me to explore. And so that question about like what opportunities were available and, 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 and they're growing up, I mean, things were just open. And I say they were open because I always sort of felt and was told that, you know, you can have any experience in the world or learn anything in the world uh, by reading. And so as a kid growing up, I read a lot of books. Like I read a lot. The other side though is, is growing up in a small town like that is, I was on a cusp where when I was in school, there were teachers who taught my dad, who taught me. Uh, and I had the opportunity to, to, to be taught by some of these teachers who 
really didn't have any boundary on what you could do and who you are. Uh, and just put your head down and do what you need to do and it all work out. What were some of the biggest struggles that you encountered growing up as a teen in rural Mississippi, going to high school and, and selecting a college? I'm going to be honest. Like, I, I don't, I, I always share, and I think a lot of this drives me, is, is that my experience of growing up, my experience of attending high school and college was a good experience, right? I can't point to one thing and say, I struggled with this or struggled with that. Uh, because of that reason, I often sort of tell myself, right, because I had such a blessed life and, 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 and was, was had family and folks who loved on me that part of what I do, even our work today, is driven by the fact that people poured in me to have an impact much bigger than me. You know, I can remember for me, uh, probably about ninth grade, my dad giving me a book of colleges and this book in, uh, was basically all the historically black colleges and universities across the country and said, hey, you know, take a look at this and figure out where you want to go to school at. And so I ended up deciding to go to Alcorn State University, HBCU in Southwest Mississippi. It was a land-grant institution. Uh, my dad attended there. Both of my aunts attended there. I had a great uncle that attended there, great grandfather. So it was like a legacy school. The other thing that was interesting, I um, sort of experienced the best of both worlds. I was a nerd, I was a geek, but I was an athlete too. So coming out of uh, high school, I was recruited. Uh, most of the schools that I had, you know, football scholarships or offers from, I had academic scholarships and offers from as well too. What was it like continuing the legacy of the family going to Alcorn State? It was fun. And I say that because, you know, as a kid growing up, I went out there for football games. I went out there and hung out. Uh, you know, go to games, all those kinds of things. One of the ways, one of the things that I experienced that let me know, know I made the right choice. So I went to Alcorn on a football scholarship. Um, my first year, uh, it was dealing with some injuries. And then I was also taking AP courses at Alcorn, honors courses my freshman year in balance and trying to play football. And I ended up getting a C in an honors English course. And I remember like feeling distraught because that's not something I made. I didn't make C's. I never made a C in high school. That was my first time kind of experiencing that. And, I, and after much like consultation with my parents and talking with them, I decided to stop playing football and focus on academics. And I remember going to the football coach and telling him my decision. And he was supportive of that because he was about like, look, like there's things you want to do in your life. I get that. And so I go and talk to the dean of students at the time and just said, look, dean, I wanted to see what the school would honor my academic scholarship and if I can switch from an athletic. And if not, you know, I was going to transfer to another school because other schools were going to honor my academic scholarships. And the dean told me, say, no, nah, we, we don't want to lose you as a student. But that was what sort of cemented me to let me know I made the right choice. What was the end goal? from Elkhorn State. What did you want to do? What was the career aspirations at the time? I, I really only wanted to be, I guess, three different things. I can remember early at one point, uh, for some reason, I was interested in art and like wanted to be a cartoonist in junior high. Um, and then uh, I remember I saying like, well, I don't know if this cartoonist thing will work out and you can make money doing this too, which I guess you can, but you know, you know, I'm, you know, from a rural area and community, folks also want you to think about it in a practical sense. <laughs> so they were like, okay, figure out something else. Uh, and I started looking at uh, architect and engineering, like civic engineer. 
was like, okay, that could be something. I could, you know, draw, do some things and and pull it that way. And then I remember probably about ninth or 10th grade, I was like, I wanted to be a physician. Uh, and so all through from that point on until after undergrad, everything I did was based on that. So even when I was at Alcorn doing my summers, I would do like these summer programs. So I spent the summer at this program between um, Harry and Vanderbilt. Uh, one su- two different summers, I went to the University of Rochester. Um, because I started to think more about like, I wanted to be an MD, but I wanted to do be an MD and do something else too. So I was thinking about MD, PhD. I think after I finished Alcorn, I was a biology med major. I ended up working at the medical school here in Mississippi, UMMC, uh, doing research in physiology, biophysics. And the plan was to do research there for a year. I sort of landed on wanting to get a degree in public health, either MBA or something like that. And start and but and do MD, but the medical school here didn't have a joint program, okay. um, and so it was one of those things where you can go get your MS, M, your MPH, and then come back to medical school, or you could go. So I just decided I said I would apply for grad school. Uh, applied for a number of schools. My top choice actually was UAB's School of Public Health. I got into school there, but before I went to grad school. I ended up doing a three to four month fellowship in DC through the Kaiser Family Foundation, uh, where I worked on Capitol Hill as a, a health policy fellow in the US Senate. And during that time, I made the decision that I didn't want to be a physician. As a physician, I could impact and see one patient at a time, but through policy, I could impact thousands or millions of folks at one time. And so that that really sort of started to shift and change my trajectory in terms of my career. And that's when I came to UAB um, to do an MSPH in health policy. What attracted you to the University of Alabama at Birmingham at the time? At the time, we didn't have a accredited school of public health in Mississippi. Uh, I could attend UAB as an in-state student because of academic coming market. I wanted to go to school in the South. Uh, I, I will say, you know, I know a lot of different folks got thoughts and opinions, uh, but I've never been one who wanted to run away from the South. I wanted to be here. I wanted to raise my family here. I wanted to have what I do in life have an impact here in the South. But even when I began to look at a pro- the programs, uh, when I started reading more about the MS, at the time it was MSPH in health policy, it really spoke to like the structural change type things that I, were look- I was looking at and thinking about, or, like how do you make healthcare more accessible? Uh, I saw gaps in what it looked like to live in a rural community. I was fortunate growing up. My dad has a, had a great job that allowed us to have great health insurance. Uh, but at the same time, I saw the struggles that other families had and people had and family members had by not having an access and realizing that that was more structural than rather than who you were as an individual. Uh, and so that 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 framing sort of spoke to me as I thought about the health policy and and UAB program really spoke to me in, in the way it was structured and trying to think through those issues. What were the courses like? What were the cohorts like when you were going through UAB the first time to get that MSPH? I love my experience and my time at UAB, and primarily because of the people I came in contact with. The professors, uh, the dean at the time at the school was Dean Max Michael uh, while I was there. had a lot of interesting conversations with him. Growing up in the way I did, the family I, I grew up in, going to school at an HBCU, I had a lifetime of until I was 20, what, 3, 24, 25, 
of well, 23 of people like completely loving on me for the individual and the person that I was who were pouring into me and telling me that you could do this, you could be best. It wasn't anything limiting factors of who I could be and what I could do and what I wanted to do in life. And the biggest difference is between my space, between being, having that life and my experience at Alcorn and my experiences at UAB. And I shared this with Dean Max Michael. At Alcorn, I was a student. Right. What I said, what I did was an individual representation of who I was. At UAB, I was a black student. And so what I did, what I said, I may have been taken, was taken as a representation of, of, of the black community. Uh, and so, but the thing, I, I'll say that to say, not as a knock on UAB, but it actually created a lot of opportunity and room for discussions in classrooms. So when I was in classes and we were talking about health equity and health disparities, and we, you know, explored the issues around W. E. Du Bois, who was a sociologist, looking at the issues around the color line, looking at early work in the 1900s around health equity and health disparities, but being able to have that type of conversation with a, with a diverse group of students. I mean, that was just, it was, it was, it created a lot of fruitful conversation and dialogue. From Hazelhurst, Elkhorn State, Capitol Hill, UAB, you graduate in 2005. What was next? In 2005, that was a question I was asking myself, too, uh, because part of it was, you know, I flirted with the idea of uh, after I spent that summer on Capitol Hill, I kind of flirted with the idea of just staying in D.C., but instead I decided to uh, come back to UAB. Partly, partly, not even partly, a lot of it was to my now wife, we were dating and she was in dental school <laughs> in Jackson. Uh, and I, so it was like, uh, I was like, okay, you know, I could come back and we joke about this all the time. Cause I told, I say, well, I can come back, go back to school to UAB. I'll be there a year, year and a half. I say, you know, we're dating. If it works, if it worked out, you know, it'll work out between us. If it didn't work out, I got a master's after the deal. And I just, I may have to just go back to DC. Um, and we joke about that cause now we're, we're married with three boys ourselves. So <laughs> it worked out for us year and a half later. I decided to like, you know, it's a two year program, but I did it in a year and a half. Um, at the time too, I was also working on campus with the regard stroke study, uh, and kind of thinking about what's next. I start to look at job opportunities, start to think about all the things I want to do. But while I'm there, still trying to figure that, figure it out, I actually just started taking classes, doctoral level classes. I tell folks like I backed into a PhD. It was just kind of one of those things that while I was there, let me try to do something productive and, and have impact. And I tried to do that while I, even I was there. But the way that I kind of even think about my transition from Birmingham back to Mississippi, I think I was doing some stuff to, to have whatever limited scope of impact that I could have there in Birmingham and at UAB. But it was kind of like one of those things where like, you know, you, you're being a, a good neighbor and doing something for your neighbor. And but by coming back home and coming to Mississippi, now I'm doing something for like my parents. Um, um, and so that's what was part of the, the transition for me. In addition to my wife and I were, were expecting our first son. Uh, and so that was part of the transition. So I actually transitioned back to Mississippi uh, before I finished the PhD. And so I was living here and finishing up the PhD, um, coming got back and forth to Birmingham and Jackson and actually took a job at that time working in the state legislature. You graduated with a PhD from the School of Education in 2012. At that point, your career was pretty much set. Were you still in the state legislature at that time? 
actually, matter matter of fact, as I was finishing up, I did, I ended up resigning uh, and resigning so I could focus and finish up a PhD. At the time, my wife was out practicing. At this time, the way that it, what my motivation for finishing my PhD, my, like I said, when she was in dental school, she was in her last year of dental school, and we were expecting our first son. And I remember I was sitting at the kitchen table writing and working on my dissertation, and she came into the kitchen table and said, I'm pregnant. And I looked, I said, what? She's like, I'm pregnant. And she was like, she asked me, like, what you think? I said, I think I need to finish writing this dissertation then. <laughs> so, so we, and I said, so, so when I'm finishing at my graduation, we had this picture where the, uh, my, my oldest son and she's holding him at graduation. And then, you know, for my graduation, I'm holding my second son. So we got these, these kids who were born at these pivotal moments in our educational career as well. Uh, and so it was kind of like one of those things where as I was finishing and it was just one of those things where I knew and felt like, you know, getting done, getting completed meant more at that time for me and for my family. And the the work at the state legislature at Rennick's Chorus, I was at did some evaluations of like state government programs, like doing, I've done all these kind of things. And now it's like, okay, let me finish this thing for me. Let me finish this thing for my family. And so the way I ended up doing it is I actually ended up sliding into some opportunities to do consulting. So while I was finishing up the PhD, I was doing consulting uh, with like local government, foundations, different things like that as I was finishing up the PhD. Earlier you mentioned the health and racial equity issues that you were looking at the first time you were at UAB. How have those changed in the 15 years since you graduated with that first UAB degree back in 05. We talked about it in a public health space about the determinants of health. We talked about how issues around income, housing, education, like how all these things impact health and health outcomes. I think what has happened over the past 15 years is, is that those conversations are no longer just happening in public health. They're happening more broadly now. So, and, and for me, my career is actually, I think, kind of evolved over with that. So, you know, once I finished my PhD, I went on faculty and was doing some teaching at Jackson State University. Uh, but I left the faculty position there to go work for a community development financial institution. But I point that out because I can remember being in these conversations now where people who were in housing, talking about the public health implications of housing, Folks who are now thinking about healthcare access, not just thinking about access in the context of just about access to health insurance, but access about what barriers that exist, like employment and other issues that keep people from accessing the healthcare that they, they need or transportation issues. Whereas, you know, we in the public health field and public health space are very privileged because we don't have to put artificial boundaries around what it is to create a healthy community. Whereas folks who might have been in a housing space or did economic justice work, they they may have limiting boundaries of that work that they did. And I think now where we're at a point where people are now actively thinking about how do you connect all this stuff to create uh, quality communities uh, for folks to be able to live in and thrive and survive. When did you join the NAACP? So I've been at NAACP now for three years, um, but prior to working and being employed as an executive director there, I was a volunteer um, for the prior th three or four years where I 
was the state health chair. I kind of got into this role, um, I, I say I was voluntold. The now national president and CEO for the NAACP, Derek Johnson, was the state president here in Mississippi. And we had done some work together, just looking at for my time in the state legislature. You know, he he gave me one of my first or early consulting sort of jobs with with with, with a nonprofit he run ran at the time, One Voice. And he was like, "Oh, you know, you you in health, so you're gonna be my state health chair." And this was around the time when, also, uh, when we were we were looking at like healthcare access, right? You know, I had an opportunity to do a lot of work around like what Medicaid expansion could potentially look like in Mississippi, making healthcare more accessible. So I did a lot of that work. And then at the same time, my job in itself was running this think tank. You know, one of the things that I, I kind of helped me sort of get my mind wrapped around and sort of transitioning from the public policy, CDFI kind of space to more grassroots organizing was so many things that, that we advocated for um, the policies we were trying to advance in the state legislature and local communities were failing. And they weren't necessarily failing because it was bad policy. It was just failing because some of the people we had representing some of our communities. And so how do you sort of talk to more people about the issues and help folks understand and frame like what's happening, what's going on and become more solution oriented? Uh, and the only way you could do that is go granular and talk directly to people. And NAACP, which is a member volunteer based organization, which has a long organizing history here in Mississippi, was the vehicle to do that. And so that was part of my transition. And I've been in this role now three years since uh, August. As executive director of the Mississippi State Conference NAACP, could you ever have prepared yourself for 2020 with COVID? Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, all of the things that are going on in this country, this day and age. No. Um, well, look, even before the end, we were fighting in Mississippi. We had a, a prison crisis going on in this state that continues in this state even before COVID. We were part of a coalition. We had a number of people who were incarcerated that were dying in prisons, implorable conditions. Uh, and we were doing a lot of that work at the beginning of the year uh, and then had to lean into COVID. Uh, say lean into it is, is that, you know, when this thing first hit, there was a lot of misinformation out here. There was a lot of questions, you know, not only dealing with the stress of what it is in, in terms of this in, in a healthcare sense, but the economic implications of it with businesses and places shutting down. So I can't say that, that you can never prepare, but the other context is this. Look, the first field secretary uh, for the NAACP in Mississippi was Megger Evers, who was murdered in his front yard for doing organizing work. And when I think about uh, Megger Evers, folks like Fannie Lou Hamer in Mississippi, uh, Reverend George Lee, who was actually assassinated in his car from a shotgun blast uh, from doing trying to register people to vote in Humphreys County, Mississippi. Winston Hudson out of Carthage, Leake County, Mississippi, who did, I was this fearsome woman who did organize and work in her community. So when I think about like all these folks who did all this work in the 60s and the continued work of organizing in Mississippi, us sort of um, looking down the barrel of a pandemic, um, the civil and racial unrest around the country, we've had folks who have been able to respond to the issues that they face and do the best that you can with what you have. Uh, and as long as you're keeping community centered in front, talking to the community about these issues, and that's what matters. 
You brought up the 60s. How do you feel the nation has come in those 60 years? Well, I mean, I think what we look at is, is that there's still a lot of work that has to be done. Um, you know, we just wrapped up for us in the NAACP, our 75th annual state convention and policy institute that we did virtually. And one of our speakers at our event had this, this message or this conversation about uh, the difference between defeat and being defeated. I think over the course of time since the 60s, uh, there have been some wins and there have been some losses, but people have have not settled in of being defeated because the work has continued. So often people talk about, you know, systems thinking and systems work. Uh, and I think you can think about that in the context of this struggle for civil rights, the struggle for racial equity, because it is a struggle. Because if you think about it being systems and institutions um, that you're pushing against and fighting against, like these systems and institutions, institutions and some people currently benefit from the way things are structured. And so any change, any advancement is that you're going to always have opposing forces pushing and fighting against them. So it is a constant struggle back and forth for the advancement. And ultimately, I think we got this guide star around liberty and justice. And what you're trying to do is, is get us sort of, you know, King talked about the, the moral arc, right? And so we're trying to sort of being back towards justice, bending toward liberty, where it's available to all Americans, all Mississippians, all Alabamians, and, and not just for some. So I think that's where we are. I think the, the, the work continues. And that's part of, I think, what kind of motivates me and drives me. What can make this nation come together in your mind as a Black man, as a policymaker? I think that that's a couple of things, but one thing I think that that's sort of been on my mind a little bit more than others is, is to take time and have a real conversation. And the reason I say that is, is that, you know, if you think about academic and collegial environments, the ability to sit back and discuss and debate and talk and do all these other things, even with colleagues that you may disagree with, uh, but you actually are creating the space and opportunity for dialogue. Uh, I think we've gotten so far away from that. And I think when we do decide to have conversations, we talk at each other, not with each other. And then we sprinkle in a lot of cases, misinformation about what it is that we're talking about. And so I think being able to, to, to take, you know, sort of credible, reliable sort of data, research, information, to have conversations about the issues, that's what matters most. I mean, at the end of the day, I think whether you black, white, or brown, you want to be able to provide and support your family. Um, you want to be able to know that when you go to work and put in a day's work, you get a, a fair day's pay. Um, you want to be able to, to enjoy all of the country's liberties and, and, and ensure that even when you experience, uh, have experiences in this country, that you'll be treated fairly and, and with dignity. And we know just as a country, we're not doing that. Uh, and so, until we can be honest about like there are some things that we really have to do um, that we have to shift and change around this country to make opportunity more available to everybody, um, we'll continue to struggle. But I think one way of overcoming it is creating spaces and opportunities for conversation. Would you be in the position you are today without your experience at UAB? I don't think I would. And the reason is, is because UAB um, help me be open to possibilities. I never felt 
constrained in a classroom saying that I have to learn this, like I have to be an expert in diabetes or expert in obesity. It was okay that I wanted to look at issues around violence and youth violence. It was okay that I wanted to look at issues around incarceration and disparities in incarceration. My time at UAB just helped me to be more and develop more concretely in this idea of, of being open to the possibilities. And who knows what that may be. Uh, but I think if we limit ourselves, we limit the opportunity that we have to have impact. And don't put ourselves in a box. Don't put us in, in a barrier and say, hey, I got to do this. I want to do this. I'm on public health and I have to be in this public health position. No, public health is everywhere. It is anything and everything you want it to be. The same way I tell folks that people who are interested in doing work around racial equity, uh, it can be anything and everything you want to be. You don't have to work at the NAACP to do work around racial equity. You don't have to work at the Urban League. Like you could work at a UAB. You could work at a, you know, you could be anywhere. And this work around, you know, the uh, uh, social justice work, I always tell folks it's like a buffet. You take as much as you want, as little as you want. It's enough for everybody. It's not a competition. Get your piece of it and go to work with it. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so that's just kind of, kind of, kind of how I think about it. UAB. Really, sort of, kind of helped me be open to the possibilities. And then, look, the people I met there, um, the 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 students that I, uh, colleagues and friends, I still keep in touch with today in my time there. And so, it just really created a, a, a atmosphere for for excellence. I think during my time there. That's Dr. Corey Wiggins. In 2005, Dr. Wiggins graduated from the School of Public Health with a Master's of Science in Public Health. He followed that by earning his doctorate from the School of Education in 2012. A two-time graduate from two different schools, Corey has his own idea of what it means to be a blazer. It's kind of rooted, I think, in this idea of, of just not limiting yourself. The reason I say that is, is that, is that when I think about my experience there, and I think about the experiences of my friends at UAB, everybody could find a space to do what it is they wanted to do. Don't miss an episode of UAB Green and Told. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify, and let us know what you think and leave a review. You can also listen in at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. If you have a good story to share, let me know. Email greenandtold at uab.edu. And be sure to check us out on social media. We are at UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers!